0: Reconstructionist Radio Podcast Network presents Streetwise Theology Out of the ivory tower and back into the hands of the invisible church
1: Welcome to Streetwise Theology, my name is Luke Saint. You might be wondering why the title of this podcast is called why a homosexual enjoys more freedom under God's law than under man's law. Let me start off by reading to you uh, an article explaining a little bit of where I'm coming from. This is from a website called Quora.com. I don't want to take it as gospel, but when it comes to the federal government, hardly anything can be taken as gospel. Let me uh, start by reading this article. It starts off with a question. I guess the core is a place where you go to ask questions. And the question is this, how many federal laws are there in the United States? This one guy answered, no one knows how many laws there are in the United States. Apparently, no one can count that high. They've been accumulating, of course, for more than 200 years. When federal laws were first codified in 1927, they fit into a single volume. By the 1980s, there were 50 volumes of more than 23,000 pages. And today, online sources say that no one knows. The Internal Revenue Code alone, first codified in 1874, contains more than 3.4 million words. And if printed 60 lines to the page, is more than 7,500 pages long. There are about 20,000 laws just governing the use and ownership of guns. New laws means new crimes. Uh, from the start of 2000 through 2007, Congress had created at least 452 new crimes so that At the time, the total number of federal crimes exceeded 4,450. Of course, times change and laws need to be updated, but many laws detract from rather than contribute to our quality of life and overall well-being. It is impossible for anyone to know all the laws that affect them, and it is therefore impossible to not break any laws. How many of the 4,450 crimes have you broken? The role of Congress, unfortunately, is to create new laws, not to do away with old laws that don't work. Members of Congress running for a re-election want to be able to say that they sponsored and passed new laws, regardless of how how harmful the laws may be. In a typical year, Congress passes at least 125 new laws, but Congress has uh, fortunately slowed the pace of late. In 2011, after Republicans took control of the U.S. House of Representatives, Congress passed just 90 bills into law. As of late August, only uh, late August of 2016, only 61 of the 3,914 bills that had been introduced in 2012, 12 as of that date, had been passed into law. Uh, pardon me. They yeah, had as, as of late August uh, 2012. USA Today criticized the quote-unquote do-nothing Congress for not passing enough laws as though Congress should be graded based on the number of laws it passes. I say it's a step in the right direction, and that's the uh, end of the article. So, I mean, we're looking at just 20,000 laws on guns alone, and, uh, you know, obviously you can be prosecuted if you break any of these laws. There's a penalty attached, um, whether in implication or uh, in print for every single one of these laws. And that's just the federal law. So those are just the federal laws. If, if, if I'm understanding correctly, uh, like I said, by the 1980s, there were 50 volumes of more than 23,000 pages of federal laws that you can break. I've heard a lawyer say that you're probably breaking a law right now. You just don't know it. And he's right too. Um, and the writer of this article is correct in that, uh, hardly anybody gets rid of Old laws. We just keep them around, and we just pass new laws, new, new laws, new laws, until you know we're all we're all tangled up in so many laws that you know, the, pretty much the government, if they want to find something wrong with you, they can. Um, it's just it's just a matter of time, and you know, if you get a team of lawyers twenty four seven looking for something wrong with you, they can they can almost find something wrong with you, something wrong with your house, something wrong with your car, something wrong with your business, something wrong with your job. I mean, they can they can find something, and they can they can get you pretty much whenever they want. So, uh, the reason I, I said that a homosexual enjoys o- more freedom under God's law than under man's law is because, at max, um, the, God's law uh, saw 613 laws. Uh, most of these laws, or well, I don't say most, but a, 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 a large number of these laws did not have any penalties attached to them. So, some of these laws were simple ethics, and some of them were actual crimes. Uh, a crime is simply uh, a sin that has a, a civil penalty attached to it. A lot of the laws did not have any penalties attached to it. For example, if you come across a bird, a bird's nest, uh, Deuteronomy 22, and you're allowed to take the eggs, but you're not allowed to take the mother. Um, there is no penalty for that law. You know, you can't go, you can't be brought before a judge and a judge can't punish you because there, there is just no penalty, just like there is no penalty for envy. There is no penalty for lust. There is no penalty for greed. Um, You know, there are certain sins that just absolutely have no penalty involved in them, involved with them. So let me, let me explain a little bit more by saying that the Bible offers several freedoms that man's law, I don't think, ever offers. Um, first off, the Bible offers freedom, it offers three freedoms that, that man's law does not offer. The Bible offers freedom of status. In the law of God, you can walk around and proclaim to the world that you are uh, an adulterer. You can have a adultery parade where you celebrate adultery. You can um, tell your people, "I commit adultery all the time." You know, you can uh, walk around. You have the legal freedom to do this. If uh, if we had like a theonomic society and someone had an adultery parade in which they celebrated adultery, um, let's say you decided, "Hey, okay, I'm going to do something about this. This this should be illegal," and you. Let's say you grab one of the participants who is holding a sign that says "I'm an adulterer and I'm proud of it." You run him before a judge. Um, the Bible offers this man, let's say you know it's a man celebrating adultery. He offers this man freedom of status. You can't be prosecuted based on status. Um, you know the Bible uh, is is pretty clear that an, an action. Uh, of the particular sin must be observed. So you can walk around with a big sign saying, I'm an adulterer, but legally you are protected under God's law from anything really happening to you. There, there is nothing illegal about saying that you are a sinner in a certain category or even celebrating that you are a sinner in a, in a certain category. Um, you, know, uh, you know, for example, parade, there's nothing in God's law against having a parade so the Bible offers freedom of status. No one can be brought in. I mean, imagine this playing this out in a godly society, uh, you know, where God uh, only recognizes the judicial branch. Let's say some, someone actually brought you in because he's heard that you uh, committed adultery, and the judge is going to say, okay, what, what's the problem here? Well, we have two or three witnesses here that we all heard this man say he committed adultery, and the judge is going to say, well, I, you can have a thousand people who heard this guy say he committed adultery, has anyone seen him commit adultery? No. Do we have any evidence besides hearsay pretty much, uh, that this man committed adultery? No, we don't. We just have, we just heard him say that he committed adultery. Okay. All right. There's, there's no case there. I mean, you must observe or it must have proof beyond, um, what this man says about himself, whether serious or not, or you know, because it, it protects it protects people from saying things that are flippant. For uh, for for it protects people who may, maybe joke about something or say something in confidence. You know, this the Bible protects those people, and it also protects people who actually are adulterers but have not been in, observed in adultery. You must be observed committing adultery. You must have tangible proof that this man. Has committed adultery. Two or three witnesses hearing this guy say that he did is not enough to condemn anybody or convict anybody. Secondly, the law of God um, gives you freedom of intention. Now, you know, under man's law, you have uh, people going around saying you know things like you you could be convicted for conspiracy to commit murder. Um, you know, like conspiracy—that—that—that's a crime to conspire. I—I uh, I, I don't think God's law, um, convicts people for intentions. Like he intended to commit murder. You know, uh, if if for example, if you if you brought someone in who was saved by someone trying to kill them, you know, we leave it up to the judge uh, whether or not that they should get the death penalty. Um, if you can prove that they were trying to kill them. But for example, if you write. Um, uh, something, if you shout something really angrily and say, I'm going to kill you, um, you can't be brought up on charges of uh, attempted murder because of something you said. You can nowadays. Um, the state can get you for intention, but the Bible does not prosecute based on intention. The Bible prosecutes based on action. So in the Bible, uh, according to God's law, you have freedom of intention. You must be convicted based on action, not what you were intended uh, on doing. I believe that there are some exceptions to this. Uh, I would be willing to have a discussion, but basically, uh, God's law gives you freedom of intention. Uh, for example, it's illegal to buy and sell uh, slaves, according to God. Um, you know, uh, For example, uh, like kidnap slaves, you know, whoever uh, whoever uh, steals a man will be put to death and whoever is caught in possession of that man will also be put to death. So we can't have that pretty much outlaws buying and selling slaves. Now, if you were in a situation though, where you had money and you saw someone being sold, but you're like, Hey, I'm going to buy that guy and sell him. I mean, I'm going to buy that guy and set him free as soon as I do. The Bible, I believe gives you freedom to do that. Um, and, and a problem comes up when someone says, well, you know, you, you can't buy and, and sell slaves a kidnap slave. If we follow the Bible incorrectly, we're going to say, I don't care if you intended to set the man free or I don't even care if you did set the man free. The Bible says that if you are in possession of a kidnapped man, um, you get the death penalty. Well, the Bible gives you freedom of intention. If you say, "Listen, I bought this guy so that I could set him free," which I believe happened in in history all around the world, uh, and I, sh- I think that's a good thing uh, to to redeem somebody off of the auction block and set them free. I believe that is a good thing to do. I believe that's a worthy cause. But I believe the Bible gives you freedom of intention. Like if you were to bring that before a judge, and the judge was to say, "Well, did you set him free?" Yeah, I set him free right away. Well then, you know there's there's no case. The Bible gives you freedom of intention. The Bible also gives us freedom of thought. There is no such thing as a thought crime. I think many pagans misunderstand this. Uh, I believe that um, when they read things like you know whoever lusts uh, after a woman in his own heart commits adultery with her, um, and they're like, oh look, see a thought crime. You can be killed. You can be prosecuted um, as soon as you have. Uh, a lustful thought, and you can be brought up on charges and put to death based on thoughts that you th- things that you thought. But as if you read the uh, the law, again, you have to be prosecuted based on action. A thought is not an action. A thought might be a sin, uh, but it's not an action that 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 has a judicial punishment. Uh, for example, there is no punishment for coveting. If you covet your neighbor's horse, um, like it says, you know, you know, nor his manservant, nor his maid servant, nor his donkey, nor his horse, nor his ox, or whatever. There's no punishment for you uh, delegated in God's law. You know, there is no just penalty, even if you can prove it. Let's say the guy even posts it on Facebook, and you brought it up to a, um, a a court and it said, "Look, this guy uh, coveted his man's uh, horse." Well, the the Bible does not give a penalty for coveting. The Bible does not give a penalty a civil penalty for lust. Um, I've heard some people say that people who habitually watch pornography can be brought up on charges of adultery. I'd be willing to enter- entertain that. I'm absolutely willing to entertain that argument if you can prove that he was committing adultery. Um, you know, because sometimes pornography can be involved in more than just thoughts. It can be involved with actions. Again, we're bringing our actions back into the conversation when talking about... Uh, criminal punishment. So the reason I say this is because uh, the Bible offers the homosexual freedom of status. Even if he walks around and says, I am a homosexual, um, there's no, really nothing judicially that can be done. Now, ethically speaking, I might avoid that person or maybe try to talk to him or um, you know, I might treat him different differently if I know that this guy is celebrating homosexuality. Uh, in, under God's law, but uh, judicially, nothing can be done based on your status. Uh, the second one, freedom of intention, you know, um, if the homosexual says that, you know, uh, you know, if he claims that he is a homosexual, but his I- intentions aren't uh, to, like, for example, to have intercourse with, uh, you know, a member of the same sex, but he's really struggling, and he acknowledges the fact that he is a homosexual. His intention to redeem himself, the Bible gives him a freedom of intention. Even if he owns up to the fact that he is a homosexual, nothing can really be done to him, um, whether he's repentant or not. Again, you must be observed committing the abomination that God says is an abomination. Claiming to be a homosexual is not... Uh, a capital offense sodomy is There's a difference and again the homosexual enjoys freedom of thought even if he struggles or even celebrates these thoughts of homosexuality he is protected under god's law the civil law from uh capital punishment now this is uh, a distinction must be made here uh it's still a sin these things are still sins but they're not crimes There is no penalty for thought crimes. There is no penalty for intention. There is no penalty for status. These things must all be followed by action. The Bible, judicially speaking, punishes action. It does not punish intention. It does not punish status. It does not punish thought. God punishes those things. God will see to those things. He, um he will see the justice come about for these sins. But until action uh, is done concerning these things, nothing can be done by man when it comes to these things. The only status that I can see uh, right now uh, concerning the way that we treat people um, in society I mean, probably the most damning one is excommunication. If you are excommunicated, but this this, again, nothing judicially can be done to you really. Once you're excommunicated, this has more to do with uh, ethics, how I treat you. Um, I can't bring you up on charges and and, and do anything really judicially to you once you've been excommunicated. Most of the status has more to do with ethics than it does with justice. Again, The homosexual has either two options, has two options. One, embrace man's law, which is hundreds of thousands of laws that could cost him his life. Again, in this nation, you know, whether you like the police or not. But if you miscommunicate something to a cop, you get the death penalty. You know, these, we see this all the time. People reached, the white guy reached to pull his shorts up. The guy thought, the cop thought he was going for his gun and he shot him. The, his penalty for miscommunication, according to the police officer, was death. So the homosexual, whether he's a homosexual or not, is subject to this penalty. He could miscommunicate something to a cop under man's law and be killed for it. And I think this happens all the time. A homosexual can have his house taken away because he forgot to pay certain taxes. Maybe he he made a mistake, or maybe he did it on purpose. In God's law, his house is protected. A homosexual can, uh, under man's law, can can be fined for ridiculous things for 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 the whims of a government. I remember recently uh, I, I got a I got a ticket uh, for leaving my car running unattended, even though it was locked. At four o'clock in the morning, uh, in the city of Reading, and it was one degree outside. It was, it was really fr- it was freezing cold. And a cop came up and gave me a ticket, and I looked at the the fine. The fine was fifteen dollars, and there was a category that said other, and it was ninety dollars. The homosexual has to worry about these things of being fined, uh, and being uh, you know suffocated by so much red tape that he can't have the freedom that he enjoys under God's law, which is freedom of property, freedom of uh, uh, the pursuit of happiness, and freedom of life and freedom of liberty. The only crime that the homosexual in his identity, he has to worry about is actual sodomy. Even if he kisses another man, I, I, you know, I'm sure that someone could make the argument that something could be done, but I'm not sure reading the law of God, I'm not sure anything could be done. What are you going to do? Bring him up and say, hey, he kissed another guy, you know, with with sexual intention. What's the penalty for that? I'm looking at the law of God and I say, I don't see a penalty for that. Why should we invent one? Paul says men who practice homosexuality for a reason, and I'm here to tell you, my friend, that even the sinners, even the reprobate sinners who practice abominations, still enjoy more freedom under God's law than they do under man's law. The only thing that man's law affords you to do is for wickedness to thrive and for righteousness to be, um, to be attacked, to be stifled, to be suffocated, and wickedness to be celebrated. And even after a while, it's, it's only uh, a certain brand of wickedness. Uh, other forms of wickedness are, are, are put out. And, and only a certain brand by enjoyed by a certain few can be uh, a certain brand of wickedness can be enjoyed by a certain few. It usually only comes down to oligarchy almost always in every pagan society. I'm here to argue to you, my friend, that the most wicked, reprobate people still enjoy more freedom under God's law when observed correctly, when the law is used lawfully, than they do, Under man's law, which is hundreds of thousands of laws that you can be brought up at any time, any place under the whim of a judge or uh, the whim of a jury or sometimes you'll even get that, the whim of a police officer. You could lose your life. And, And the law protects a police officer and it doesn't protect the homosexual. My friends, we should want for even the most reprobate sinner to enjoy the freedom that God's law offers, uh, the same freedom for ourselves. We want that to have, we want that, that that is the mark of Christian love. I love you so much that I want you to enjoy the freedoms that I have. Lately, the, the liberals and the conservatives are starting to say, I hate you so much that I am willing to sacrifice my freedom so that you don't have it either. And that's why we have these thousands of laws. Because the, the law and the prophets can be summed up with, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. When you throw that out, you start hating your neighbor as you hate yourself. And this is voiced in this thought. I hate you so much that I, I am willing to sacrifice my freedom so that you do not have freedom either. Where the spirit of the Lord is, there is Liberty. And James is called the law of liberty for more than one reason, my friends. It affects so many areas of our life. Again, challenge you to read Psalm 119 and think about David's attitude towards God's law. Do you have it? Do you want to have that same attitude? Do you even care? Read Psalm 119. Think about what James said, that the law of God is the law of liberty, is the law of liberty in more than one way even for the Jew, for the Gentile, for the straight man, and even for the homosexual. Be strong and courageous, my friends. We'll see you next time.
0: Thanks for listening to Streetwise Theology, brought to you by the Mid-Atlantic Reformation Society and Reconstructionist Radio. Please visit reconstructionistradio.com and thinkandreform.org.